Welcome to ECB, Everything College Basketball, cooking it up with Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. Yeah. It's Everything College Basketball. We're marching on to the madness. Cause every fool go press, every crazy dunk in the conference and how that team's match up. We're pulling your poles, taking your foes, letting the Burton brothers know. The players you're watching, the teachers you're not with, and who you see in the final four. With them shout outs and weekly pickums, plus those crazy rants from Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Man, this podcast has it all. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Man, this podcast has it all. Yeah, now the moment you've all been waiting for. Your host from the corner. It's Josh and Peyton Burton with Tyler Cool. Everything College Basketball Podcast. Welcome, everybody, back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, Episode 75, the Christmas Week edition. I'm, of course, Josh Burton. My name is Peyton Burton. And we welcome you and all of your family to, like I said, this special Christmas Week edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. We hope everyone, since we're recording on a Sunday, later in the week's Christmas, we hope everybody has a safe and fun and everything you enjoy about Christmas. I hope that it's that for you, and I hope that uh, it goes well for you. So early on from us at ECB to you and yours, Merry Early Christmas. Peyton, Christmas. You always hear about Christmas wishes. If I had one wish for college basketball this year, it would be for my Kentucky Wildcats to look a lot better than what they have. I want to open up. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Let me get a. Let me go ahead and wa- or you know water my mouth real quick for this. Okay. Because I'm going to need it. Yep. Let's I'll go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want actually want your input because this isn't going to be like other rants we've done. What we are seeing right now is a complete and utter collapse in the program um by now we'll get into it like the the actual ins and outs what happened on saturday yesterday but as everybody knows by now kentucky has now fallen after yesterday's loss to north carolina to one and five on the year which puts them this is the worst start since pre adolf rupp since 1926 27 season it has been almost a hundred years since the Kentucky program has started this god awful. A couple, a couple things around surrounding all this historic, you know, streak or however you want to look at it. We had reports coming out yesterday. Kyle Tucker of the Athletic, who covers Kentucky athletics primarily, tweeted out shortly after the game yesterday. So Kentucky completely melted down on the court. Cam Fletcher threw a fit. Calipari nuked Terrence Clark all day, and Clark left the court before the game ended. 
Then no one but Keon Brooks, who didn't even play, would go do post-game interviews. The Cats' problems run deep. Cam Fletcher's came out today and apologized on Twitter. More on that later. Uh, we've had some rapid reaction. We talked about, you know, this is the worst start since pre-Adolph Rupp era, since 1926-27. Actually, Adolph Rupp was 25 years old and it just began coaching high school basketball in the state of Illinois when this was going on. Um, and here's something. First of all, let, let's just stick on the whole since 19. 19- 2627, the Cam Fletcher issue, Terrence Clark, Peyton. Your thoughts on that before we move into this, the more damning stuff and really dissect what is wrong with the state of Kentucky basketball right now? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I feel like it's a mixture of things. I feel like a lot of these freshmen came in and thought they were going to be superstars. Guys like DJ Boston, who's having a terrible year this far. Speaking of, I mentioned him in the game thread, the North Carolina Kentucky game thread yesterday. He's going to get drafted at some point. I do not see him being drafted in the first round. If NBA scouts were watching that game, and most importantly, watching him this whole season so far, and how poorly and how many bad decisions he's made all season so far, how is he a first round pick? I haven't seen any mock drafts. Surely to God, he's not a first rounder. He probably is, though knowing his potential, but as of right now, he's just not, you need to bench him immediately. Why is not, why is Dante Allen not playing? Davion Mintz had a good game against North Carolina. He needs to get more playing time. He probably needs to start permanently now. Why is Dante Allen not getting any minutes? I don't get that part. Coach Cal, I don't know why he's so hard-headed. We're talking more about this Carolina game later on, though, probably. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself talking about that game, but he did travel me, times. He did do some other stuff, but it's just I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know the answer. Here here's on your point about the mock draft. The re- most recent one, according to NBADraftRoom.com, and this was published. Um, it actually I don't I don't think it has the date. Let me see if it has the date because it's a pretty good little summation of it it doesn't have the most updated one so i'm assuming it's been fairly recent kentucky wildcats there's two still in the lottery 12 going to the to the warriors they have bj boston number uh number 17 going to the pelicans terrence clark and then is that it yeah isaiah jackson number 29 to the clippers isaiah jackson's the only one that could theoretically somewhat looks like he's kind of capable of going the other two no way in hell i'm with you on that bj boston it must have been just him playing bums in high school or something but his jump shot i thought he would come in and be a shooter he is not taken to the to the college game his shooting form at all his release is wonky he fires up it's like there's no follow-through no hold of the rotation nothing it just dead irons off the back. Every once in a while, he might hit some. He had a nice little step back yesterday, but that was it. That's the problem. He hit one, and then Cal wanted him to keep doing it and keep doing it. Some of the comments that we had around the, the Facebook group yesterday, I mean, really blowing up this whole game. Uh, Jesse Watts says there's too many egos, and they provided nothing. Maybe if they spent more time in the gym shooting free throws and practicing threes instead of making TikToks and Instagram videos, they'd be all right. He went on to say, I'd be starting walk-ons and the guys down on the end of the bench. We've lost five straight. Not like we have much to lose. He also added a comment. 
um, and I can't find it, but I know he'd put it on here. Basically, he'd say if he was Kyle Perry, he'd go into the practice tomorrow and say, all right, boys, nobody has a starting spot. None of you are good enough right now. Basically, you're playing for your lives. And how you, if you really want it that bad, you'll, you'll fight out practice kind of deal. Which, in old school terms, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you could definitely do that and get away with it. It's not like you couldn't today, but you're just – these five-star kids that quit, they'll go – they'll say screw it right now and go try to do it in G League, even though they're not good enough, and that's the problem. Um, Adam Peters talks about as a season, talking about some damning statistics. as After yesterday's game, Adam Peters says, as a team on the year after today, we set out 69 assists, 90 turnovers – shooting 24.7% as a team from three. He said, doesn't matter how much talent or potential we have, if you can't shoot and can't hang on to the rock, it's over. Absolutely agree. Uh, a lot of people, me included, you, everybody's laying in. It's like beating a dead horse now. But every time you think that you're like, you can't get much lower, they find a way to they, – they had to lead at halftime. And, again, we're not going to get completely into it yet, but they had to lead at halftime, couldn't put another four together. It, it's – it's bad, and we talked about the Cam Fletcher. I, if Cam, I'm torn on this because apparently he was so frustrated because he barely had any minutes yesterday, and so oh, he blew up. A, well, no, I don't either, and that's the thing about it. He, should he have threw a temper tantrum? Probably not. Is it immaturity because he's so young? Yeah, that's immaturity. But we had three front court guys foul out completely, and you're telling me Cam Fletcher couldn't even come in and spare some minutes? The same with Dante Allen? Not in mop-up time. But like big minutes, at least Cam Fletcher's got a wide body and he he'll battle. Guarantee he would not allow um, the Carolina Bigs to bully him around because he's got a big wide frame and he'll he'll fight. He may do some dumb stuff. He may not be that skilled right now, but he'll fight. I don't see why he couldn't find minutes yesterday. I don't either, especially in a place and time where you mentioned like three of Kentucky's bigs, Lance Ware, Jackson, and Saw all fouled out, and you needed. You needed some depth. Why not play Cameron Fletcher? Obviously, nothing else is working. You're already getting beat. Why not give Cameron Fletcher some minutes? Why not give Dante Allen? You struggle scoring, right? You struggle hitting shots from three. Why not get him coming in who scored like 42 points at um, his high school team? Well, average 42 points per game when he was playing at high school. Why is he not getting minutes? I, it's, real quick on B.J. Boston, he has talent, and that – Number 12 pick to the Warriors is just ridiculous to me. Him and Terrence Clark is not first-rounders, let alone lottery picks. If anything, I think Saar and Jackson deserves that more than those two do. You but, mentioned – you mentioned – you and I want you to talk on this because you, you said it yesterday when we were watching the game together. Terrence Clark, you know, he – Cal Perry put him at point guard because he thought he, he did decent against uh, Georgia Tech and, and then Notre Dame, so he was wanting to leave him at point guard. But, Peyton, you said it yesterday – Terrence Clark at point guard, or even when he goes to dribble, he's like he fumble foots. Uh, we might have lost Josh here. Actually, dribble. I don't think uh, he can yeah. dribble. I don't think he can either. And another thing I was going to say about BJ Boston, real quick. Um, it all, stopped, it all starts with his head. It all starts with his basketball IQ. He has real, very little basketball IQ in my opinion. I don't know how many times in that game against North Carolina, he would do a dribble move or something. He'll go towards the lane. I can't count how many times I called exactly what he's getting ready to do. 
His shot selection is very, very poor. He doesn't make the right decisions. He can't dribble. He can't score. He, unless he has wide open layup. And another thing about Terrence Clark, multiple, multiple times in that game, like I said, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because we'll talk about it later. But multiple times in that game, he drive the lane. He'll try to pull a mean, do a floater. And I don't understand why. Yep. He'll leave it short. And they all, that, ga- they all gator arm it too. Yeah. When you're that big and you're that athletic, leave the floaters to someone who who's like me, who's very short. Leave it to like ty- the Tyler Ewers of the games, who's not very athletic. He's not doesn't have the ability to go up and just dunk on somebody. That's what he needs to do. Anytime he's dropped lane, he needs to go up there and try to dunk on somebody. I don't understand why he's not doing that. Floaters just not in your game plan. If when you're that athletic, you should not be doing floaters. That's just my opinion, though. Completely agree. Um, on now, on to the Dante Allen issue. This is what really pisses me off about Coach Cal right now. Um, and this is a great article. I, re- I mean, I posted it in the Facebook group. I encourage everybody to go read it by Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Yeah, I'm not going to read the full thing, but I'm going to break down a few of the pieces he t- talks about. Um, he, he lists off, you know, it says right here, actually, but if there's one thing Kentucky fans have griped about during his time in Lexington, Cal Perry, that is, it's his tendency to keep sharpshooters and pure sc- scorers on the bench in favor of those with better athletic and defensive potential. And when he does bring those di- uh, dynamic scoring threats off the bench, the leash has been exponentially shorter than no- that of their teammates. Running down a list of recent examples, Johnny Juzang and Jamal Baker were considered to be the best shooters in the respective recruiting classes and ultimately transferred from the program, while the likes of Michael Mulder and Derek Wills both graduated from Kentucky but struggled about Dante Allen, how he came out of high school averaging not, or sorry, 42.9 points a game, 14.2 boards a game, including six 50-point games, 12 doubles doubles in his first 13 outings of a senior before he tore his ACL and just ridiculous numbers we've talked about him for a couple years how great of a scorer he is and it talks about now that he's back to full strength this is Dante Allen's minutes in the last uh, five games he's been limited to 4.75 minutes per game in four outings along with two DNPs and losses to Richmond Notre Dame and the team's 75-63 loss to North Carolina he or Oh, one that saw the Wildcats go without a basket for over nine straight minutes in the second half. Allen entered the game with the team down nine with just 109 to go. Seems a bit late to have a scoring punch off the bench, don't you think? And then it goes on again, Cal Perry. You see the reason Cal Perry waited so long to put Allen in the game? This is what pisses me off. Listen to this quote that came directly from Cal Perry's mouth. The reason Cal Perry waited so long to put Allen in the game is because there are players ahead of him in the rotation who, and I quote, need to be able to miss shots. I could have done it today, but I'm giving these guys that are in front of him the room that they need to be able to miss shots, Cal Perry said of Allen following Kentucky's fifth consecutive loss of the season. We go in practice and they make shots, but they aren't making them in the game. It's not, I come out every shot I miss shot or I come out every time I miss a shot obviously you guys know that's not true you try to give them room and encourage them to shoot and and again I'm not trying to read the whole article but there's so much good in this and this is back to um to the article here he he questions he goes is it obvious that's not true though or is it just five-star talents at top rotation who launch brick after brick without having to look over their shoulders once the concern of being yanked from the lineup and then Cal once again says, we've got guys. I tell them the huddles, if you don't shoot the ball, I'm taking you out. 
And then it goes on, the article says, must be nice to be in that position, huh, right? But they compare Allen to the other guys. Jamal Baker got yelled at in the Elite Eight game against a couple years against Auburn because he uh, he fouled on a three-point shooter, and Cal literally screamed at him, I can't play you at the top of his lungs. And he was he got you know he got pulled didn't play the whole second half of that game when we needed scoring against Auburn, and he tra- he got in the transfer portal 17 day- days later. We seen it with Juzang last year. Now you look at Jamal Baker. He's in Arizona. He's averaging 16.7 points a game, shooting a crazy 52.2 percent from the field, including 47.6 percent from three and almost 89% from the free throw line. He put up a 33-point game against Northern Arizona. He put up 29, including eight three-pointers against Stanford yesterday in a loss. He's uh, been Pac-12 player of the week a couple weeks, or last week, actually. Juzang put up 13 for UCLA against Ohio State yesterday. Um, and his head coach, Mick Cronin, loves him. On Cronin on Juzang. He's such a weapon with his ability to put in the basket that opens the floor up. You have to guard him at all times. He's a tremendous offensive weapon. Michael Mulder at Kentucky. He was the number 18 junior college prospect. Shot 46% from three at Vincennes. He played three almost four minutes a game as a junior at Kentucky, 10 minutes a game as a senior, and didn't hardly do anything. Same with Derek Wilson. So the trend goes on and on and on and on. So Calipari, what is the deal here? I know that was long-winded, but Calipari lets these guys who I don't know if you feel some kind of he owes them something because they came to Kentucky and they have a five-star name, but he's allowing these guys year after year to play bad, to shoot terrible, terrible shots. Well, you have proven, known, hardworking, scoring, pure shooters on the bench just collecting dust and he won't play them and if he does play them the soon as soon as they miss a shot miss a rebound miss an assignment don't make an open pass to one of these coveted five stars he pulls them and they're done i know this is frustrating and long-winded but damn it if i i love dante allen as a player and by all means everything i've ever read about the kid he's a good kid Dante Allen needs to leave this bullshit with Calipari behind. And I know it's been a dream to play for Kentucky, being a Kentucky kid, but he needs to leave Kentucky, leave this sinking shit bullshit right now with Calipari, and go show this, excuse my language, but go show this motherfucker what he can do. I don't care if he transfers to a rival like Louisville or Indiana or Tennessee or Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, Xavier, Cincinnati. Whoever, he's a D1 talent, and by God, you get him in, give him a proper chance, give him the minutes, play him 15, 20 minutes a game, or more if he plays and deserves it. I guarantee you he becomes another Jamal Baker, and and he's got bigger size. He's bigger than Johnny Juzang. He's bigger than Michael Mulder. He's bigger than Jamal Baker. He's just the same size but more athletic than Derek Willis. He's 6'6". You're telling me you couldn't use a 6'6", pure shooting, scoring guard who has a long wingspan and can defend? He could go anywhere in the country and be a star, and honestly, I hope that's what he does. He doesn't deserve to be on this team and deal with all this shit and be set on the bench like this. I mean, it is what it is. Dante Allen deserves more than this. Didn't Kyle Wilcher, he played for Kentucky, didn't he transfer to like Gonzaga or some shit like that, and he was a sharpshooter? 
yeah, he transferred after his uh, sophomore year. Was that the yeah? That was the Nerlens year, I think, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, the the like he played on that Nerlens 2013, then transferred. Yeah, um, yeah, he's another sharpshooter who ended up transferring from Kentucky. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Dante Allen, he needs to. He, I agree, he needs to lead the program. I would love to have him at Louisville, be the next Ryan McMahon, who's taller than McMahon was, and probably can defend a little bit better than Ryan McMahon can, and probably shoot at the same level as he could. I take a guy like Dante Allen uh, at Louisville. Um, Indiana definitely needs a guy like Dante Allen to be able to hit shots. He and Cameron Fletcher, I think both, I think definitely Fletcher, I think he's transferring. And I honestly hope that Dante Allen follows him and transfers somewhere else because, like you said, he deserves the minutes. He deserves playing time. He does not need to ride the bench. Um, you saw what he did at high school, at the high school level, dropping 42 a game and hitting, shooting lights out from three. I don't understand why Coach Cal's not playing him. I that and that thing you said about Coach Cal, he said like you need to get his players ahead of him and needs to be able to miss shots. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. That's in my opinion a loser's mentality. Like are you just are you just wanting to lose? Like that's one of those mentalities that you hear a bunch of players say that a shooter shoot mentality. That honestly I can't stand that. And what that basically means is if you're a shooter, if you're a high level shooter and you have the ability to make shots and you just keep on firing no matter what. I'll talk about that a little bit later on in a certain game I want to talk about. But that mentality, I feel like it's a loser mentality. And I, I mean, it's just funny to me. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, but. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's purely ridiculous. Um, yeah. Let's let a guy like Dante Allen not shoot the ball and let's, um, you know, B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark keep firing up terrible shot after terrible shot after terrible shot. The best lineup, if you want – and if we're going to lose, and I talked to you yesterday, if we're going to lose, let's do it with kids who are at least going to play hard. If we're going to lose, I'll deal with losing if our starting lineup and bench looks something like Davion Mintz, um, Dante Allen, um, Cam Fletcher – you know, Isaiah Jackson, because he does play hard, um, Olivier Saar, Lance Ware, really those six. Is there anybody I'm forgetting? Um, no. Not that I think uh, of. Those six. I mean, Terrence Clark, B.J. Ball. Oh, um, Devin Askew. Is, Devin I think Askew. Getting, yeah. I think Askew's getting better. I can roll with Askew now. <laughs> but Clark and Boston, you know. Those dudes, I don't know. Those dudes, I wouldn't be sad if they left right now. If we're going to lose, it's just lose with kids who's actually going to work their ass off. I mean, might as well. got to do something because you're 1-5 and, you know, got the Wolver game this weekend. So it's not going to get any easier than you got ahead in the conference play. So, I mean, you got to do something. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, but anyways, Kentucky off to the worst start since 1926-27. That is, that is a long time to be until you're that bad. I guess it's a testament. We talked about the, uh, how good the program's been, though, for so long. Now you don't ever have a start like this, but it's historically bad, and it doesn't get any easier. It really doesn't. This is the year that a team like this needed those games against, like, Detroit and company mm-hmm. that needed these in-between games to – try to learn how to win, I guess, but 
anyways, that's the state Kentucky basketball. We'll break down the actual game here later on. But during the open, Peyton, I'll ask you real quick then, being in the spirit of Christmas this week, you have one Christmas wish for your wild or for your Wildcats, for your oh. Cardinals, for your Cardinals. What's your Christmas wish? Oh, it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, it's Kentucky hate week this week. I mentioned Louisville, Kentucky play this Saturday. It's to beat Kentucky, obviously. Um, we desperately need it this year, especially how bad Kentucky is this year, being 1-5. If we lose this game against uh, Kentucky when it's at our, our home court at the Yum Center, then I might go in hiding until next year because I'd be super embarrassed if we lost this game. Coach Mack and Louisville program, we desperately need this. We need this game. So that's my one and only Christmas wish. Another Christmas wish is for – it might be a little bit too late, but because I don't know the shipping call. I don't know when shipping and stuff like that happens. But it's still not too late to buy your T-shirts from uh, teespring.com slash store slash everything college basketball. So not only do I want Wolver to beat Kentucky, but if you want a nice brand to represent, go buy our merch at teespring.com slash store slash everything college basketball. I like it. I honestly thought, though, that you would say just to get healthy. I thought that's, once healthy. Yeah. I mean, that's a given, but I'd rather have Louisville beat Kentucky this year or this week, like most importantly. If we're talking about wow. short-term wishes, then definitely that. But long-term, I definitely need to get healthy. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, we forgot to mention top of the show. We we're brought to you again this week by our friends over Everything Pro Wrestling. Make sure you're checking out Conrad and crew. Tremendous job on all the wrestling and the stuff. Got you covered from AEW to WWE to New Japan Pro and everything in between. Check out our friends at Everything Pro Wrestling sponsoring today's show. Um, Peyton, I think now, though, after we got kind of those wishes and all that stuff out of the way... I think now is a good time. Let's go ahead and take our first pause for the cause. When we come back, we'll start reviewing some of those games, including that massive Iowa-Gonzaga matchup yesterday. You'll want to hear all the details about it. You're listening to episode 75 of the podcast. We'll be right back with you in just a moment. Welcome back to episode 75 of the podcast. And guys, it's time. It's time to talk about some of the big-time games that happened last week. And it doesn't get any bigger or better than hashtag conference play, by the way. We had a big-time Big 12 clash between two top-ranked teams in the nation. You had number five, Kansas Jayhawks, going at number 14-ranked Texas Tech. What a game this was. Very low scoring. Kansas ended up getting the job done 58-57. With this win, with this win over Texas Tech, Kansas has now won 30 straight conference openers with their last loss coming in January of 1991 against Oklahoma. That's the longest winning streak by any team in Division One in the last 50 seasons. That stat right there is crazy, uh, to me at least. Um, Kansas being in the Big 12, and right behind them is Gonzaga. They had like 24 straight, uh, dating back to 1996 to now, which that's, I mean, it's impressive in its own right, but it's least impressive to the Kansas one because Kansas is in a bigger conference and a better conference in the Big 12. Um, but, yeah, this this stat right there, 30 straight conference openers with the last loss and coming in January of 1991 is an incredible stat. It just shows how dominant Kansas has been in the Big 12, um, dating back to, like, the last 50 seasons. And um, it's been a test of time. Kansas has been dominating this conference. And what a game this was, though. First of all, that stat alone is just incredible. 
Yeah, that's that's super impressive. Um, thirty years of anything is remarkable, let alone to win your conference opener. You know, but it shouldn't be that big a surprise considering that they went all them years, fifteen, sixteen years of actually winning the conference. So Kansas is all about setting records. And speaking of which, they are creeping ever so closely to Kentucky now for the all-time winningest program in college basketball history. Don't think that they're going to get them this year because I do think at some point Kentucky wins a couple, you know, starts winning a few games, which will keep it, you know, make it even harder. But Kansas is creeping ever so closely now. Real home um, hold on, I just got Why something in my ears. <laughs> Sorry about that. I had one of these stupid ads started playing right in my ears. But anyways, this game, we'll leave that in. <laughs> This yeah. game, though, was tremendous on Thursday night. It was the game of the actual throughout the the work week, shall we call it, heavyweight matchup to start the year off for both ball clubs. These are two of the three or four favorites inside that stacked Big 12 conference. And it didn't disappoint. Texas Tech has the number one defense in the nation, and this is yet another challenge for Kansas. You look at Kansas' schedule already. They've played Gonzaga. They've played Kentucky. They've played um, – oh, help me. I know there was somebody else that was on the list. Uh, Creighton. Yeah. They played a pretty damn tough schedule already, and this was no exception, and Kansas found a way to – like somehow they've been doing, they found a way to win. They were up at half by three. And this traded lead, it felt like back and forth throughout the second half. It really was a tremendous ball game. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's funny you mentioned that Kansas somehow squeaked away another win. Um, I got another interesting stat for you guys here that's actually pretty, uh, pretty interesting. And dating back to the 2010, 2010, 2011 season, since 2010, um, college troops on Fox came out with their, like the win percentage and five-point games or whatever it's called. And Kansas is the number one team when it's five when the margin is five points or under, heading to like late game, like a couple minutes left. Kansas is the best team in the nation with the highest win percentage. So what that basically means is when it's like a five point game or close to a five point margin, when it's clutch game, time, when it's clutch time, Kansas most likely will come out on top. So I think that's pretty funny that you just kind of mentioned it there. But yeah, this game was very low scoring. I thought it'd be a little more high scoring, but then again. Texas Tech does have the number one team, the number one defensive team in the nation. Um, I knew they'd be able to lock Kansas down a little bit. And Kansas, they didn't do the Texas Tech's defense. They didn't really hit too many shots. Um, but I just want to give a complete. Uh, this isn't a shout out segment, but Dwan Harris has really changed his Kansas team since the Gonzaga yeah. loss. He only, once again, he didn't really do too much stat line wise. He had three points, three assists, three rebounds, but he tw played 23 minutes, and defensively, he is a monster. Him and Marcus Garrett, defensively, is probably one of the best two defensive players in the nation right now. He, is, he is to Marcus Garrett what Jordan Goldblier was to Trey, um, Jones. Trey Jones a couple years ago. Yep. I think that that's a lot of comparison because he, he does. He comes in and sparks. He really showed up in the Kentucky game and has been playing that way ever since. To me, though, the star of the night was Oche Abaji. 34 minutes, 23 points. He had five boards, one assist, one block, solid defense as usual, four three-pointers. This is a kid a couple years ago when he bust on at the scene. We 
was just an athletic freak. Now he started to really develop a three-point shot where you have to guard him honest. Um, Ochebaji was tremendous. On the Texas – oh, and the one thing, Kansas, you want to look where they won this ball game at? They turned the ball over a little too much. 16 turnovers is too many. But where they won the ball game was that's free throw line. 14 yeah. of 15, missing one free throw, clutch in the end. That obviously made a difference in a one-point game. You look at the the Red Raiders side of things. Mac McClung had 21. He was good most of the most of the game. I mean, he was he played about what you expect. He was good. He was spectacular at times, but he also forced some stuff. Five of 16 from the field. A couple when they could have easily, you know, ran the clock, got a better shot. He just decided to pull a three. Kansas actually went zone surprisingly. Yeah. They went zone, and McClung pulled like two or three threes right in a row and bricked all three of them when they could have settled down and got a better look. That That's the thing I love about Self is, unlike Kyle Perry, Self is always seemingly got a plan. He'll throw something at you. One year he'll triangle and two year box and one year, then he'll run man, then he'll come out in the zone. He, he's tremendous with his game plan and in-game adjustments at that. Love Self for that reason. The other Red Raider, uh, Terrence Shannon Jr., continues his red-hot play this year, 20 points on 7 of 16 shooting. Tech themselves went 6 of 23 from the three-point line. Um, Kansas only went 6 of 18. The shooting in this ball game, you'd have to say, wasn't really the best either way, but it was still a fun game. Um, Namari Burnett played 21 minutes off the bench. He's starting, we've talked about, he's starting to get in the flow a little bit more. But still, 21 minutes, two points, three steals. I mean, I know he's the highest-rated player they've ever had there, but you're starting to really have to question, is he – I don't know. Is he really – it's not that he's not good. I don't want to disparage the kid, and it's still – it's only – they've played eight games now. Yeah. But you wonder, is he – is this by, is this class as a whole outside of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, and maybe Greg Brown, is this class as a whole even that good is what I'm trying to get at is, but – Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know. But I think I, I'm glad he's getting a lot of minutes, 22 minutes, but like I said, two points, two rebounds, three steals. It's not really the most appealing stat line, especially when you're the highest ranked recruit to ever come to the Texas Tech program. I wonder what this team would be if they had um, uh, Jemias Ramsey from last year's team. If he had returned, didn't go to the draft. I wonder what they would be. Like, if they had another score, another guy who's very long, lengthy, who can defend a little bit, I wonder where they'd be if they had a guy like him to accompany, accompany guys like Mac McClung and Terrence Sharon Jr. And Micah Peavy, who only had, like, eight points, six rebounds, played 27 minutes. Besides Mac McClung and Terrence uh, Sharon Jr., who put up a combined points of 41 points, no one really else besides maybe Peavy, who scored eight, did anything for Texas Tech. And it's the reason why they only scored like 57 points. But talking about Kansas, an interesting stat for me, and I don't want to hear people say rebounding doesn't take heart anymore. And if you're a guard, you can't rebound. But Christian Brown had 10 rebounds in this game. He had 10 rebounds. In the Kentucky yep. game, he had like a 12 rebounds or something. He actually might have led, besides maybe maybe McCoy, He did. Probably, I think he led Kansas in rebounding in that Kentucky win. And once again, he actually, him and Marcus Garrett, both guards, had 10 rebounds, and they led the team in rebounding. So I don't want to hear this crap about rebounding doesn't take heart, and if you're a guard, you can't rebound, because both of those guys are guards, and they both had 10 rebounds and led this team in rebounding. So I don't want to hear yeah, that. Yeah, and this Kansas team is showing, though. It doesn't, like, 
they're already built in a weird way for for March because they're grinding on a tough schedule and winning ball games. They're winning them close, but they're winning, and they know now what it takes to win in the final couple of possessions. How they, the, you know, the end of the ball game, it took it required them to get a stop. Yeah. They they drove the lane. They got a good bucket to go ahead, and they needed a stop. It took them the last eight nine seconds. Tech had the ball at home, a chance to walk off with the win, and they forced. Um, I can't remember if it was McClung or if it was who was it? Was it McClung or I think it was Edwards? McClung. Was it McClung or Edwards? I don't remember. It might have been McClung. Or, or maybe it was, no, it was Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, took okay. just a bad shot. Like they forced him into a, a couple hesitation dribble drive to the right side of the elbow and try to pull up, and it got like partially blocked. If I remember, I think Jalen Wilson got a piece or Obaji got a piece of it. Yeah. Got deflected. Terrible final possession, but that was a lot of credit to Kansas's defense. Kansas is fine. They're like finding ways to win. That's what really good to great teams do. So Kansas are proving themselves to start setting themselves apart from everybody else. They're going to be a hard out right now. Um, and they're doing it without traditional, their traditional style of post players. They're getting great help from all the guards, the forwards. And this Kansas team, if they ever consistently can learn how to put up more points on the offensive end, I think they're going to be a real problem in March. Yeah, that's the thing. They don't have a post player. I mean, McCormick had a good game against Creighton, but he wasn't really doing it. All of his points didn't really come from post play. He just came from mid-range and maybe layups. But they don't have a dominant post player like they did last season with Dope like they do now. It's completely different from style of play from last year's team to this year's team. You look in the Creighton win, especially in the Kentucky one too, David McCormack, he would either be on the floor or if he wasn't on the floor, they'd just go five guards and just spread out. They'd be putting him into play, and that's what they did in this Texas Tech game too. Both teams, when McCormack was out for Kansas, both teams had like five guards on the on the floor at the same time. They were just going head-to-head, and with that, you would have the ability on defensively to switch screens because you don't have to worry about mismatches anymore. You could switch screens, and I feel like that gave Texas Tech problems that really worked in Kansas' uh, favor. Yeah, fully agree. And I think, again, Kansas is starting to separate themselves. Tech's going to be fine. Um, they need more scoring, too, though. They, they really need more scoring. Uh, yep. The next game, Peyton, the next game we're going to talk about. Um, next game, let's go ahead and talk about, um, you know, Louisville. Let's go ahead and talk about this real quick. I just want to mention this. Um, Louisville had a big one against uh, Wisconsin yesterday. Um, the Big Ten is still part of the Big Ten AC Challenge. Number 23-ranked Louisville team face off the number 12-ranked uh, Wisconsin Badgers team. It was at Wisconsin. It was at the Kohl Center. Louisville got demolished. Um, Wisconsin ended up winning the game 85-48. to Wisconsin hit almost every three you can imagine. They shot 25 threes, hit 16 of them. That's 64% from three. Um, I'm not mad about this loss because Louisville coming into this game we was on like a two-week layoff due to COVID reasons. Most of our whole team had COVID. Um, it came out a couple days ago that most of our whole team has recovered from their COVID situation. We hadn't played a game since December 1st. Our last game was December 1st against the win against Western Kentucky. So we had a long drought. We wasn't really practicing due to COVID situations. Carly Jones didn't play in this game because I think he had COVID or he was sick or something like that. Obviously, injuries is caught up to us now with Malik Williams being out, Josh Nickelberry still being out. Samuel Williamson returned from his injury, his toe injury, and the Seton Hall win. 
Um, and Charles Lowndes out as well. So with injuries, COVID, not playing since December 1st, having that long layoff, barely any practices to really play against a good Wisconsin team and give them a run for the money. I'm not disappointed in this loss. I wish we'd kept it closer. I think Wisconsin's a good team, though. I may have overlooked them coming into this game because I thought Louisville was going to win. They are I think good. Wisconsin's a good team, but I don't think they're a great team. I feel like that we made them look better than what they really are. I think some of that's true both ways. By the way, say COVID one more time for me because so, I have the over on you saying it 10 times or more. So say COVID one more time. Um, how many times have I said it so far? You've said it 10. Uh, I mean, 10's a good number, but okay, fine, COVID. There you go. <laughs> I've seen how many times you could fit it in. Whatever. No, but um, no, Wisconsin, I think they are a good team. We knew that coming in. One of the more experienced teams in college basketball, um, a team that won a share of the Big Ten title last year. But I do think it's fair to say, too, that Louisville wasn't at full strength. And had they been, I think that this would have been a much closer ball game. a much closer ball game. Would Wisconsin still won? Maybe, probably. But it would have been a lot better had you guys like Carly Jones played if your front court would have been healthy. But you look at Louisville, what they had. Samuel Williams to played all 40 minutes of the ballgame. He didn't yeah. count out not one time. Um, seven points. David Johnson, 12. You know, Louisville shot 35% from three, which isn't bad in all hindsight. 75% from the free throw line. But they shot 36% from the field. That's what killed them. They yep. went 17 of 47 from the field. That is atrocious to be shooting. Um, they had, you know, what was total rebound? Oh, they had 27 rebounds. You know, Wisconsin only had 30. What? In, I guess when Wisconsin's making a bunch of shots, though, you don't really rebound a lot. Eight assists for Louisville, four steals, two blocks, had 18 turnovers and 18 personal fouls. It's just a lot of negative stats going against them wisconsin played i think their whole team they played six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen yeah. dudes yeah they played the whole 13 team. guys and you you mentioned they hit 16 three-pointers i mean unbelievable they're one of the top three-point shooting teams in the nation they're actually six shooting 43.7 percent from the three-point line this is a dangerous Wisconsin team that we've tried, or at least I try to tell people about. Experience, you look at Demetric Trikes, Micah Potter, Nate Rivers, like up and down that roster is just nothing but experience that can shoot and defend. What's Wisconsin ranked defensively? They're third. They got the third best defense in college basketball. That is a three and D type team if I've ever seen one. That is a team capable of making a Final Four this year, especially in a year where experience t wins. Uh, they put three guys in double figures. The other two was on the outside looking in. That's a very good Wisconsin team, and Louisville ran into a buzzsaw and just completely got obliterated. They were down 44-18 at halftime. Yeah, it, it was atrocious. Um, but that's what I kind of said. A couple points on this, talk about more of this game. Um, like I said, I think we, Wisconsin's a – Pretty damn good team. I think they'll contend be like top half in the Big Ten Conference, along with teams like Illinois and Michigan State and Iowa and maybe even Indiana. But I here's why I think we made them look better than what they really are. And that's not a negative thing because Wisconsin is a good team. Only reason I'm saying this because you mentioned the I mentioned the 16 three pointers they hit, shooting 64% from three. 
a lot of those shots, a lot of those threes they hit, some of them were contested, but a lot of them was open drives. Guys like guys like Trice would drive the lane and kick it out, and they'll be open for a three. And the reason is, and I had to mention this to a couple times to a, a Louisville fan page on Instagram that I normally talk to, who's a big, they're big Louisville fans, obviously, and they cover Louisville sports. And me and him go back and forth and talk about a bunch of stuff, Louisville sports related, football and college basketball. But I had to remind him on something because he was very negative towards this game. He wasn't impressed with how Louisville played. He was very pissed off. I mean, as he probably should be because he got embarrassed. But I had to remind him, I was like, bro, listen, first of all, we haven't played since December 1st. We've had coronavirus. I'm not saying the word again. We had coronavirus. We had coronavirus affecting our team. We had injuries affecting our team. We wasn't at full strength. Luke Hancock put it on Twitter that his coming into the season, his his uh, point of view on this Louisville team stays the same. Once we're a complete team and we can contain with the Wisconsin's of the world, this game will be a much closer than what it really was. I think it'll be much closer if we had Carly Jones, by the way, because Carly Jones offensively is a juggernaut. He can do multiple, he could score at multiple levels inside and out. He really brings a scoring package to the team that we desperately needed in this game. With him out, this game, or with him in, if this if he was in this game, I feel like this game would be a lot closer than what it really was. But as far as the three pointers, like I said, they would drive the lane, either get a layup, or if they didn't get a layup, they kick it off a wide open three. I feel like a lot of that would have been neutralized if we had a shot blocker like Malik Williams down low. If we had a shot blocker like Malik Williams, anytime they drive the lane, they would have to worry about getting their shit sent back if they try to lay it up or something because that's how good of a shot blocker Malik Williams is. And also, we and, let our perimeter players to guard the outside, and that's when our pack line defense affects. Well, that's when our pack line defense starts working well. Because if you drive the lane, that's what the pack line defense is all about. It's not a lot of people to drive the lane and make you hit three-pointers. But I don't know. I mean, Wisconsin's a good team, but obviously we want to enforce it. But good win for them. And, and, and with Williams, he hedges very well off screens, which slows down the progression of wide open pick or pick and roll three pointers because he hedges in such a wide body that the defend or the ball handler has to dribble out higher and wider, which is allows your defense to recover, thus stopping any of those open, you know, three ball pick and pop situations. Also, just think how much better Louisville will be once they finally don't have to play Dre Davis and Samuel Williamson at this four and five spots. Now, w- they could each work there time to time for mismatches, but when you have Dre Davis listed as your five man and he has to go battle potentially Nate Rivers, that's a mismatch and a half. Dre yeah. Davis needs to be anywhere from the one to a three spot, the occasional four if you're trying to go a, uh, a spread you out type style on offense. Having him at a five or Samuel Williamson at a five is a mismatch. Just think how much better Louisville will be when they finally get their, their true front court players back. So, yeah, not only that, all all, not only that, you mentioned it. Having a mismatch, I love this is why, again, if we had a guy like Malik Williams, I feel like they wouldn't hit as much of the threes. Because not only were they driving the lane, didn't have any repercussions for getting their stuff sent back. Um, and hit and had the ability to hit a lot of threes and have wide open three point opportunities. It's also because we had a miss. They had a mismatch down low. Anytime a guy like Samuel Williamson or Dre Davis or even a Dre J Trainer 
was guarding a guy like Nate Rivers down low. They throw it to him, and we, because of the mismatch, we literally had to send a double team down low and allow someone else, allow guys like Nate Rivers to kick it out to a three-point shooter and allow them to hit shots. So, and once again, we're missing Luke Williams. Hopefully, once we get full strength, without having to deal with coronavirus issues or injuries or anything like that, and we'll at full strength, I think we could be a contender in the ACC conference. Fully agree. Let's move on to the other team in the state of Kentucky, the Kentucky Suck Cats right now. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking this down. Let's just get into it because we've spent the top of the show ranting on them. Kentucky's up 38-34 at halftime. They actually played a good 20 minutes of basketball to the point where you and I looked at each other and thought, okay, well, maybe they finally starting to turn the corner. Davion Mintz hit three threes early in the first half. I thought he played I thought he played very well, um, even in the face of adversity. He played 37 minutes, 17 points, eight rebounds, um, and two assists, three of six from the three-point line. He literally hit all three of our three-pointers. Kentucky shot three of 13, as per usual, from the three-point line. Yep. This is, again, this is another game where we talk about Richmond and other teams. Kentucky, 18 of 30 from the free-throw line. That's 12. Miss free throws, they lose by 12 points. You do the math. They got to the free throw line 30 times. You know, Carolina wasn't much better. They literally shot 18 of 29, by the way, from free throw line. I don't understand team shooters don't shoot the free throw well. I, I honestly I don't understand it. Uh, go ahead. No, I basically want to mention the same thing. Anytime someone misses a free throw, and I don't know, maybe because me and you both was good at the free throw line, we rarely miss any shots from the free throw line, but – I just don't understand. Like, it's easy to practice. Just go shoot before practice or after practice. Go shoot 100 free throws every day, and eventually you'll get better. I just don't understand how you miss free throws. Um, and the refing in this game was honestly terrible. 55 total calls or 55 total total fouls combined for both teams, Kentucky and North Carolina. Just want to yeah. put that out there. The, the refing is – every time these two teams match up, the refing is usually awful, by the way. And these two, these two, their styles make for where it should be a high-paced, fun game regardless. But referees like yesterday made it all – every – I've never seen more illegal screens called in my life than yesterday. Yeah. Every little touch foul – and anybody watching the game will attest this. Any little touch foul, especially in the second half, got called. If you breathed on the guy the wrong way – there was a foul. Kentucky fouled out every one of their big men. And I'm not saying all of them weren't fouls, but I'm just talking about for both teams, the smallest of silly stuff got a foul called, and it was ridiculous. You cannot dictate games like that. Referees should be held accountable just as well. Pathetic. That did not lose Kentucky the game, though, but it did make it frustrating to watch. Uh, Kentucky fouled out every one of their bigs, like I said, including Terrence Clark as a guard. Um if that tells you anything, 30 personal fouls for the Wildcats, 25 for the Tar Heels. The The story of this game to me, especially in the second half, is Louisville just went to work – or not Louisville, I'm sorry. Yeah, North Carolina went to work inside. Yep. They dribble drove Kentucky. Their guards were stronger than Kentucky's guards. Their bigs bullied Kentucky's bigs, and they just dominated on the inside. They had 38 rebounds. Kentucky actually won the rebounding war 48 or 42-38. But Carolina had 
15 offensive boards. Kentucky had 14, but it felt like Carolina's just came at a much more opportune time, getting three-point plays off of them. I just felt like inside Carolina just completely bullied Kentucky. That's just what it felt like to me. No, I same thing for me. I feel like this was the first, this was the, I mentioned in the game fan. This was an interesting game for me because normally throughout the season, Kentucky has pretty much I'm not I'm not gonna say dominated because obviously they're one of five, but is heading to front court teams or playing teams like Notre Dame or Georgia Tech or even Kansas. They pretty much had the better front court, or at least the bigger front court, and they really didn't really get bullied down low too much. But heading into this North Carolina game, Carolina has three big men. Probably, I'm going to put this out there, they might have the most underrated front court in the nation. With guys like Amanda Bacat, Garrison Brooks, and Dayon Shump coming off the bench who had a hell of a game. He played well. He played Seven points, well. 11 rebounds. Those three guys, and obviously Walker Kelsey only played like two minutes, but if he ever gets playing time, that's just going to add to it. But with those three guys, Sharp, Brooks, and Bacot, they dominated Kentucky down low. And it's probably the reason why Lance Ware, Isaiah Jackson, and Olivier saw it all fouled out. It's because they was getting bullied down low by the North Carolina's bigs. And guys like Cohen Walton. Okay, I'm glad you're getting to say, I, I was getting to mention him. He had he, 30, Go ahead. Yeah, he played 15 minutes off the bench, 13 yep. points, perfect from the field. Yep. Three three-pointers, four four from the free throw line, did not miss a shot, and he had timely shots during Carolina's um, runs that they would make. He came in known as a shooter, and he, he lived up to that yesterday, I thought. Yep, without a doubt. Ham, play tech, had a pretty decent game, hit some big shots, six points, four rebounds, a couple assists. Caleb Love had a decent game, six assists, 11 points. But besides North Carolina's big man, Cullen Walton is probably like the most impressive player but really, the deciding factor why North Carolina won this game because how well he came, he the bench points he came off the bench with it was just incredible. Perfect from the field, hit a lot of shots, some big time shots too. So, very impressed yeah. with him. Clark and Boston combined for eight of twenty-five shooting, zero of six from the three-point line, and five of nine from the foul line, with a combined eight fouls, five turnovers, and two assists not getting the job done, either one of those two. If you're looking at Kentucky, a couple guys I thought at least played hard and tried. Davion Mintz, we already mentioned. Devin Askew off the bench. This is the second game in a row. He's come off the bench, 26 minutes, and I think he's finally starting to turn the corner. I know it's hard to say when you're losing, but if you watch him, you watch him last week against Notre Dame, you watch him yesterday against North Carolina, he's slowing down. He's trying to take care of the basketball. He had only had two turnovers. He's looking at least to run some sort of offense, and he's playing pretty solid defense. Like, he's at least getting after dudes. I think he's finally, whatever, going to the bench, I think, got the message through to him. Uh, 12 points, four boards, because he's a small guard, too. Four boards, three assists, one steal, one block. I thought Askew has been solid the last two. You got I was hard on him those first ones, but you got to equally give him cre- credit. I think he's slowly turning it on. Lance Ware had a breakout game. He only had four points, but he had seven boards. He did foul out, but he played his ass off. I thought there was times he, he really kept Kentucky different possessions alive. He had four offensive rebounds. Uh, Lance Ware, I thought, a breakout game. And then Jacob Toppin didn't play bad. Four points. He did hit a uh, – no, I thought he hit a three. Never mind, it's a long two. But 
hit both his free throws. I know stat lines, these guys aren't, it doesn't look like they're doing much, but if you watch the flow of action in games, I thought that they contributed, but you like Olivier Star was nowhere to be found. Isaiah yeah, Jackson fouled out, nowhere to be found. I thought Isaiah Jackson hasn't been really good since Kansas. Um, you know, Cam Fletcher didn't really play, Dante Allen didn't really play, but the, the same story until either Cal learns to play guys like Dante Allen and, you know, guys like that more and BJ Boston, Terrence Clark less, or something happens and clicks and Clark and Boston start turning on, this is going to be the same story all year. If Clark and Boston ever turn on, I think this is a completely different team. I really do. But that's asking an awful lot because I just don't think they have that dog in them. I, I don't. I don't think they have it in them. I, I don't think they do either, especially Boston. Like I said, it starts with his basketball IQ. He has very little basketball IQ. His shot selection is very, very poor. I mean, if you didn't watch this game, you just directly went to the stats. He had 15.7 boards. You might think he had a decent game, but really, he really didn't. He shot them out of the game multiple times. Had a bunch of turnovers. Had a couple turnovers. Didn't play well defensively. It's just it's sad. If you didn't watch the game, if you look at the stats, he might have had a decent game to you. But the people that actually watch this game, like me and you, we know he and that 15 points really means nothing because he didn't really play well. No. Now let's move on to the game of the week. Oh my lord! Number one Gonzaga, number three Iowa in South Dakota. This was a fun one. The number one versus number two offenses in the nation colliding. And this featured a game where I'll go ahead and say it now. As of right now, the, not only the freshman of the year, but to me, the leading candidate for national player of the year. Jalen Suggs is amazing. And to think, he came out and said he was hoping that Duke and Kentucky would offer him a scholarship. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need him, don't you? <laughs> um Suggs in this ballgame, 33 minutes, 27 points. He did seven turnovers. That was a little too much, but 27 points, three steals, four assists, seven boards, seven of 10 from the three-point line, step back, just dagger after dagger. He is way better than advertised. We knew he'd be good, but he's way better than advertised. Peyton Gonzaga yet again put up almost 100 spot up on another very good team. The Bulldogs, 99, Iowa, 88. It came down to what we told you guys last week on the podcast. Iowa's defense is not very good, and Gonzaga has a surprisingly top 15 caliber defense. Gonzaga's defense, we said, was going to be the difference maker, and that's exactly what happened. Iowa could not get going until late. Gonzaga, I don't see how a team beats them right now. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see if there's a team that can beat them. As of now, I found out three things coming into this game. Uh, basically, all three of them I knew anyways. <clears throat> I just had to confirm them. But one thing, Gonzaga is without a doubt the best team in the nation. We pretty much already knew that from the first couple of games against Kansas and West Virginia. This just basically confirmed it for me. Second of all, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and I'm finally glad that you agree with me now, is Jalen Suggs is without a doubt the best freshman in the nation. I think well, I took it a than, step further just now, though. Yeah, I Jalen Suggs is definitely the best freshman in the nation. I think he's better, at least having a better year so far than Keith Cunningham is. And thirdly, I think Luca Garza is the best player in the nation. Okay, I'll give you that. He did go for a 30-spot, 10 he board. He had double-double. He's the only player that really played well. He, 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 how should I put this without stuttering? 
he, he basically had a typical Luka Garza night, and I'll give you that. But if you watch in the first half, second half, he definitely dominated. But Gonzaga, Mark Few such a great coach. He was running double teams, but not just double teams. He started off when the ball got to the block on Garza, he would drop down a traditional where the guy from the point drops down, the rest of everybody rotates. Okay, that was giving Garza problems. But they know Luka likes to go baseline on a drop step or a spin move. So what do they do? They run the weak side double team. So he'd four or five possessions in a row when he'd actually get the ball, turn right into the double team and have to give it up. And he struggled. Gonzaga also played him one-on-one until he put the ball on the floor. They played him one-on-one, drew Timmy bodied up. But Garza did have a stretch there in the second half where he started to get going. He didn't even hit a three. He had, all of his stuff came from the free throw line and inside. So he did put up a 30 spot. But Peyton, I thought Jordan Bohanna killed Iowa. Yes, without a killed doubt. Killed them. Especially at the final three minutes of the game. Yes, Iowa, you mentioned Garza was starting to eat. Gonzaga was starting to show some cracks there. And the ball should have touched the paint every time to Luca Garza. And then yeah. maybe got kicked out to one of their four three-point shooters on the floor. Jordan Bohanna, and I know he's known for it. And I know he's been doing this a long time at Iowa. But you got to know shot selection still. There was times, man, like two or three possessions in a row, he just fired, just fired. And, like, Garza didn't even touch the ball. No. No. But that's another thing I was talking about earlier with Kentucky, uh, about that shoot-or-shoot mentality and why it's such a bad mentality, which I don't like it. And I hate when people always mention it. Um, I know he can probably hit those shots, and he's very capable of doing that. But when it's crunch time and Luka Garza is the – best player of one of the best players on the four him and Jalen Suggs going at each other on the ball or who's the best player and you can very well say Garza is the best player in the nation or you can say Suggs I personally think Garza is them but like I said he was eating down low he was Gonzaga was having very troubles or a lot of trouble going him down low he was just eating them alive and they couldn't stop him and they he basically brought them back into the game they bought them. They were down like double digits for like the longest time. I think they got maybe up to like 18 points, the largest deficit, maybe more than that if I remember correctly. Um, but he bought them back, got it within nine, if I believe, and he started eating down low and they couldn't stop him. He should have touched the ball every time, like you said, in the paint, at least once. If he doesn't have anything, if they drop a double team down low, then you can kick it out to guys like Weiss Camp or Bahannon to hit a shot. But his shot selection was very, very poor. I don't get why he was shooting those shots, especially when the best player in the best player in the nation, in my opinion, Luca Garza is going off. He needs to touch the ball every time. He we talked, to. yeah, oh yeah, we, we talked about coming in how it'd be Iowa's three point shooting. They were coming off a game <laughs> where they they lit up Carolina from three. They hit what almost twenty threes in that game. They go four of twenty two against Gonzaga's defense. Conversely, Gonzaga went thirteen of twenty six to shoot fifty percent from behind the arc. I think one of the plays of the game that just stands out in my mind late in the game, I was on this rally. I think they had just got in like eight nine points. I mean, they're rallying under the last four. They get a turnover, a three on one fast break, and it was just Jalen Suggs back. All he had to do was either go up and dunk the ball or kick it out to yeah. a uh, trailing Iowa person for three. And I don't remember if this was uh, Bohannon or if it was Wieskamp that tucked this ball. But he went up and just tried a finger roll, 
and Jalen Suggs, like NBA Jam style, rose up and said, Thou shalt not enter thy lane and threw his stuff. What a play by Suggs. Yeah, I think it was Bohannon. I remember if I remember correctly. I think Bohannon was the guy who got his shit sent um, by Jalen Suggs, which was an incredible block. And you probably say that's the play of the game. How about that step back three, the dagger from Jalen Suggs? How about that boy. for a play of the game? Oh, boy. I mean, unbelievable. Iowa, again, 2-14-26 and from the free throw line. Gonzaga, 14-24, another pair of bad free throw shooting outings. Gonzaga put five dudes in double figures again, including Nimhart yet again, 13 off the bench. Again, Gonzaga's running through teams. Yeah. They're just running through teams. Yep. It, it, two things from this is how do you stop Gonzaga? And two, Iowa needs better defense. Yep. If Iowa had better defense, they would be right there with Gonzaga. But they don't. They rank 82nd in the nation in defensive efficiency right now. So, but other than that, it was it was, it was was an entertaining game nonetheless. Yep. I mean, Inter- I knew, we all knew it was going to be high scoring. Two of the best offensive teams in the nation – we knew it was going to be high scoring. So it's not surprising that both teams, uh, I don't even know what the combined amount of points is. It's just 99 points for Gonzaga, 88 for Iowa. It's just, I, we knew it's going to be an offensive game. Uh, but Gonzaga's defense did make some huge stops and reasons why they won this game. Yep. Um, other other ones, just real quickly, the other game in the CBS Sports Classic Challenge, um, Ohio number 20, Ohio State 77, UCLA 70. The Buckeyes continue to be o- or overlooked and continue to make teams pay. Setting at six and one, Peyton, they look like they can really compete for the Big Ten crown this year. Yep, they definitely can. Speaking of Big Ten, we just had a game just a little bit of one. Rutgers ended up beating Illinois, ninety-one to eighty-eight. So big win for Rutgers. They're six and zero oh now. Uh, Illinois five and three. Tried to tell everybody about them. Tried mm-hmm. to warn everybody about Rutgers. I uh, went upset last night. UCF. Goes into Tallahassee to knock off the Seminoles, 86-74. Did not see that one coming. They actually outscored the Seminoles, 52-35 in the second half. Led behind Brandon Mahan, 32 points, six boards, two assists for the Central Florida Golden Knights. Big, big upset. Yep, another upset throughout the week. Um, San Diego State ended up taking the L finally. Uh, BYU ended up beating them. I actually don't know the final score, but I know BYU ended up beating them. And then the next undefeated streak. Yep, we had one other um, interesting game today, actually. Number nine, Creighton, had to go to overtime in a Big East challenge against UConn, two very good teams. But the Blue Jays ended up winning 76-74 in OT. But that is your review from this week. We're going to take another break in the action when we come back. We've got some big, big games to look forward to this week, including the rivalry. The rivalry, and we're not talking Duke Carolina. It's a battle for the bluegrass. Hear all about it after the break. You're listening to episode 75 of the podcast. See you back in a moment. Welcome back to the show. We just finished talking about the last week's games, and we had a lot of good games, especially t- t- games like Iowa versus Gonzaga, which was incredible to watch. Had some conference play games as well. And it doesn't get any bigger this week because you mentioned, Josh, the end of last segment. We have this week. It's officially Kentucky Hate Week. 
and I guess you can say it's officially Louisville Hate Week as well. We have the best rivalry in college basketball history. We have UK, Louisville, Kentucky going at Louisville, going at the Yum Center this Saturday. I don't know what time yet. I actually didn't search that up, but I know it's this Saturday, December 26th. And it's a different type of feel for this game because I'm still nervous as hell for this. It's, noon. Okay, it tips off at noon, so yep. it tips off at noon this Saturday. It's going to be a big game. I'm really nervous for this because, I, I mean, I, I mentioned it. It's my Christmas wish for Louisville to beat Kentucky. Obviously, Kentucky offensively is having their troubles. I'm super afraid because, obviously, Dante Allen's not getting any minutes. The way rivalries go, and obviously, I mentioned it's one of the best rivalries in the nation. You can – Say North Carolina Duke's better. I mean, I'm not going to get into that argument. I'll obviously say Kentucky and Louisville being the best rivalry, but like I said, I'm not going to get into that argument. This game has a different feel from normal games because obviously Kentucky's won five and not good this season. Louisville's just got drubbed by Wisconsin, but they're having a little bit better season. Obviously, injuries and coronavirus and stuff like that's into play, so we're not healthy. So it has a different feel than it was last year when both teams were top teams in the nation potentially one of the best teams in the nation. It was a mega clash when they faced off last season. It's a totally different feel for this season, though, because Kentucky's 1-5, which is still weird to say. They're having their troubles offensively, but this is a game where I can see Coach Cal stop being hard-headed, plays Dante Allen, he can go for like 20-plus on us, which terrifies me. Nah, well, he's going to be stop being hard-headed, but it's going to be towards Cam Fletcher. He's going to play Cam more because – Cam through that outrage and everything. Dante Allen's just quiet, and he's not going to play him. He, he might play him a little more, but he's not going to play him. So I don't think you got that to worry about. He's going to stick by his guns with B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark. And it, you look at these numbers from Kentucky. Effective field goal percentage, 46.2%. That puts them 245 in the nation. Turnover percentage, 23.7% of the time they turn the ball over. 288th in the nation. Um, Three-point percentage, 24.3%. 310 in the nation. Free throw percentage, 66.7%. 228 in the nation. Steal percentage, 10.4% of the time they have the ball stolen from them. 257th in the nation. That is some atrocious offensive stats. And you compare it to their defensive stats their defensive stats on the holes not terrible 22nd overall in ken palm on defensive efficiency 68 in uh effective field goal percentage um actually teams are only shooting somehow 27 percent from on three they defend the three point well uh, okay not great but okay that notre dame game inflated it a lot yeah. block percentage are still blocking shots decent amount of time not getting a lot of steals so defensively that, that they're okay offensively they're atrocious but the thing about it is kentucky still they'll play 20 minutes of really good basketball or good basketball and then 20 minutes of really god awful basketball and go on stretches of eight nine ten minutes without scoring a single field goal that's where louisville will destroy them that's where louisville is going to get them they louisville might be down at halftime yeah it, it could easily be Kentucky 32, Louisville 25 at halftime. Uh-huh. And then by the end of the game, Louisville wins 74 to 61 or something crazy. It's just – it's going to be like that. The only chance Kentucky has 
is if they hit a bunch of three-pointers, just miraculously. That's the only chance Kentucky has in this game. Hit a bunch of threes, mm-hmm. or because of Louisville's lack of size, Jackson and Saar and Lance Ware, and I guarantee Fletcher's going to play, if those quartet of big men have a really, really good game. I think, oh man, this is tough, but talking about Louisville real quick, we're shooting 34.2% from the three-point line, three point line, which isn't great. It isn't necessarily terrible, but we're 130th in the nation on three-point percentage. We're definitely going to have to hit some shots in this game because with Kentucky's length, we're going to have to spread them out. Carly Jones will be back in time for this game. I don't know if he'll be back for the Pittsburgh game coming up for an ACC conference play coming up this week. I don't know if he's going to be back in time for that, but I do know they always said he'll be back in time for the Kentucky game, which is really good news because we need him. We need an offensive scorer on the team. With guys, and I mentioned to all you, with David Johnson and Carly Jones on the floor, they're one of the best two backcourt duos or most underrated backcourt duos in the nation. It's because they compliment, why is that? It's because they complement each other very, very well. David Johnson is more of a facilitator than a scorer. He has, he's like six foot five, six foot six, so he has length on him. <clears throat> he can defend a little bit with his size and athleticism. But most importantly, he is a mismatch for a lot of point guards in the league. Maybe not too much for Kentucky because Askew, he's pretty tall as himself. And if Terrence Clark plays point guard, obviously he has length and size and athleticism. But with David Johnson and Cully Jones on the floor, Jones is, Johnson is more of a facilitator. Cully Jones is more of a scorer, so they complement each other very, very well. I'm looking at the bench play, though. Sam, well, most importantly, I'm looking at Samuel Williamson. Samuel Williamson, when is he going to have a breakout year? When is he going to have a breakout game this year? He really hasn't played well. Maybe it's due because he hasn't played not really his normal position as a two-guard or even a three-guard. He's been mostly playing as a four, uh, power forward, since with the lack of um, big man since Malik Williams is injured. When is he going to finally have his breakout game? Because last season, he didn't really get too many playing time or too much playing time with how deep and talented we were last season. This year, he hasn't really found his footing yet. I'm hoping he has a breakout game this season or this game because he's going to need it for the rest of the season. And I'm looking at guys like him. Carly Jones is going to have a good game. But you mentioned Kentucky's big man. Livia saw he's he's going to have more than two points in this game. Mm, I, you would think so. <laughs> you would think he's going to have more than two points. He's going to give us problems on our front court. But I look at it, and I reminded guys like Buddy Powell, who's obviously has Kentucky winning this game, and he's nervous about the front court play. Listen, Kentucky dominated, not only really dominated, but especially early on, their front court pretty much dominated Kansas' front court. And they, besides maybe McCormick, Kansas was basically mostly guards, just like we are. And Kansas ended up coming back and winning that game. And we've dealt with big men before. We obviously beat up Western Kentucky with one of the – with Charles Bassett, one of the best mid-major players in the nation. Sandra Mamakelashiri for uh, Seton Hall. So we face front people who have really good front courts before, and we end up beating them. Johnson was a different story. So, I don't know. We'll see. I think Little is going to have a very good game for Kentucky. Cameron Fletcher most likely will get minutes. I mean – Dante Allen might get minutes, maybe later I, in the game. But. I got a couple stats that I'm really diving. This is nerd stats, but I think it's trending stuff that could be very useful if you – because like we talked about last week, Gonzaga, Virginia, the stuff that we talked about played a factor. So I really – or not Gonzaga, Virginia, sorry, Gonzaga, Iowa. But this stuff matters. If you watch trends and stuff, it matters. Um, 
you look at both of these ball clubs and how non-reliant they are on three-point shooting. Point distribution means the total percentage of points from this certain area in the games. Kentucky is 316th, and only 19% of their points comes from the three-point line. Louisville is 291. So yep. two teams that definitely rely on scoring outside of the three-point line. Kentucky is 12th in two-pointers, getting 62% of their points from the inside the arc. Louisville, 69th. So both teams love to get mid-range or you know paint touches. Um, you look at bench minutes, Kentucky, 27.2% in bench minutes, put them 240 the nation, Louisville 248 with 26.6. Neither one has great bench production right now. And experience, both of them are exactly the same, essentially. Kentucky has basically 0.83 years of college basketball experience, not even a full year, essentially, Puts them 325 in the nation. Louisville actually is um, 0.88, 323. Yep. Kentucky's the fourth biggest team in the nation. Average height of 79.2 inches. Louisville, 30, is 78 inches. So there's a lot to be had there. And then Kentucky, we talked about their two-point percentage. They shoot around 50% from the field. Puts them 148 in the nation. Louisville defensively defending that area. 46th in the nation, teams only shoot 43.9%. Um, so Louisville defends the paint pretty well, even though they don't really have any true post players right now. If I'm Louisville, I know that they rely on their pack line, and I think they will have they'll, – they'll end up winning the game regardless, and I think that they'll have success with that. But if I'm Louisville, just to throw wrinkles at Kentucky, I zone for a while to protect your own guys – from getting in foul trouble from Kentucky's bigger guys and to throw wrinkles because Kentucky does not shoot the three well. Make them shoot. You can still run your pack line essentially just out of a zone, and there's ways to do that. Just shrink the floor more. If I'm Louisville, I run mix in possessions of zone. Maybe like every fifth play down the floor, you go from pack line to a zone real quick just to throw them off. The other thing, you look at the average possession length, Kentucky right now, 16.3 seconds into the shot clock, they normally get a shot up. Yeah. Louisville's defense forces teams to go an extra – basically, they make teams where use 18, almost 19 seconds of the shot clock. Kentucky, there's going to be possessions that they will – Louisville's defense will be so stingy, I imagine, that – Kentucky will have to use the full shot clock and have to take a bad shot late because that's what they do with bad offense. Louisville, that's another reason why I think would go zone. Make them work. Make them work. Make them work. Normally you tell a team to make the defense work. You've got to make Kentucky's offense work because slow it down, make them think. They are not thinking right now. Everything's trending in Louisville's direction. I think if Kentucky has a prayer of winning this ball game, there's three things that must happen. For Kentucky to walk away with a win in this rivalry, they must, one, they've got to hit 10 three-pointers or more. I know it sounds like a lot for a team that's only hitting two or three. They got to hit 10 three-pointers or more. They've got to have one of those games where they just come out on fire, everything's falling, have a little luck. So hit 10 three-pointers or more. 
to get after it on the offensive glass, you must get second and third opportunities. And then third, the turnover battle. You must take care of the ball, and you must force Louisville to speed up and turn it over. Trap out of the full court, trap in the half court, shoot gaps, whatever. But threes, 10 plus, rebounds, offensive ease, I'd say at least 10, 15 or more. And then turnovers must keep them below 15 turnovers and turn Louisville over conversely. That's a lot to ask from a ball club who's not very good right now. That's why I think Louisville wins this game. And But if an upset's going to happen, that's Kentucky's three keys that have to get it done. By the way, this I'm trying to get in the spirit of the rivalry. This is the first time since 2013 that Louisville, in my mind, has been favored in this ballgame. And that was the year that they ended up winning the title. Well, I guess actually 2012 when we played, but you know what I mean, 2012, 13. Yeah. But that was the year, the <clears throat> Nerlens year, and Kentucky gave them a good game even in that one, and you still thought there was a chance. But this one, man, it's just – for me, it's hard to get into it because I'm not used to being this big of an underdog in the rivalry and kind of knowing what will happen. Even if I thought years in the past that – you know, like last year, I thought Louisville could beat us in rough arena. But I also knew that there's a good chance that we'd win the ball game. Uh, two years ago, when we watched them at Louisville, I thought Louisville could beat us, but I knew that there's a good chance Kentucky could win. It's always been kind of like that. Very rarely have I ever felt like, okay, or not, at least should I say in the last 10 years, have I went into the game thinking, okay, this is probably going to get ugly. Here's why I think Louisville actually wins this game. And it's funny you mentioned that 2013-2012 game uh, when Louisville was definitely highly favored and ended up winning the game. It was a little bit closer to what it probably should have been, but we didn't hit the three ball well. And mm. Kentucky, they still had Kyle Wiltshire, who had a couple of threes against us and kept them in the game. So it was a little bit closer than what it really should have been. Obviously, we went on to win the national championship that year. Um, and you mentioned last year's game. I still believe Louisville should have won that game. And the reason why I think Louisville's going to win this game Unlike last season, we're actually a pretty decent team when it comes to the free throw line. We're 50, like 59th in the nation in the free throw percentage, shooting 75% from the free throw line. Kentucky, they're shooting 66.7% from the free throw line, 228th in the nation. So, tell a different stories. I feel like it's going to come down to the free throw line. Who's going to shoot well from the free throw line? I think Louisville has a favorite in that. Um, Louisville's going to have to hit some shots, definitely spread Kentucky's bigs out. Uh, make them work um, defensively. Let's just allow. I mean, I'm I'm down with going zone. I'm really am. We're gonna have to do something. We can't just let Kentucky's bigs like Sar, Isaiah Jackson, even Lance Ward come off the bench. We just can't let them bully us around. We gotta do something to clog that paint. Invite them to shoot threes and invite them to make threes. And if they make it, then so what? I guess we will have to live another day with them hitting shots. But the reason why I have Louisville winning this game because. We are a very balanced team. You look at Ken Palm offensively, offensive efficiency, we're ranked 33rd in the nation. Defensive efficiency, we're ranked 35th. So we're a very balanced team. Um, we can score, we can defend. Unlike Kentucky, they can defend, but they can't score with the dam. So definitely a way better team when it comes to that. And if, like I said, three-point percentage or three-pointers made, if Kentucky can hit, like you said, 10 three-pointers or more, then Kentucky will have a very good chance of maybe pulling out the upset. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I think it's going to be the same old, same old that's been all year around for Kentucky. They're going to struggle from the three-point line. 
and they might be up at halftime, like you said, but when it comes down to late time, when it comes down to late game, a couple minutes left, Louisville is going to be up, and Louisville most likely will pull away, and we're going to be able to hit shots, and we're going to be able to hit our free throws as well, hopefully, unlike last season. So, so this I have is a, winning. Yeah, this is like, if there's any sort of silver lining, this is the final game of this stretch where you're just like, uh then you go into conference and it's not like it gets that much easier. I mean, South Carolina is decent, Alabama, et cetera, et cetera. But you finally, you won't have to look forward to having to play Kansas, Richmond, Louisville, whatever. You finally maybe breathe a little bit. So you just got to get through it. Hopefully you can play well, maybe still win. But I mean, prediction time on this one, as bad as it pains me to say it professional wise and then realistic wise, Louisville's going to win, and I'm going to say they win. I think Kentucky will muck it up, too, so I don't think it'll be that high scoring. So I think Louisville wins 70 to 59. I also think Louisville wins, I'm going to say, 74 to 65. And it's funny, you mentioned not really being too excited or not being the lively uh, spirit. And it's funny because it's the same reason with really North Carolina, Duke. I mean, Duke's not really good either. Carolina, I mean, obviously they just beat Kentucky, but Carolina's not having the best of the year anyways. So both of these rivalries, two best rivals in the nation, really not much hype's going to be evolving around these rivalries, which is weird to say. But, yeah, I have Louisville winning 73 to 64 or 65, whatever, just so I don't remember. So let's move on to probably the game of the week this week yet again revolving around gonzaga but this time they have to play number 17 virginia in a game that preseason really had your mouth watering still does to me for a couple of reasons we can know how good gonzaga is and it's just another challenge this game was actually thrown together last week so they just keep rolling with it if you look at gonzaga's schedule by the way they played none of the cupcakes because they've been on covid they played Gonzaga, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa, and now they're, they'll play Northwestern State tomorrow and then Virginia on Saturday. That's brutal, absolutely brutal. But Ken Palm favors Gonzaga in the 72-65 with good reason. Gonzaga, second in offensive efficiency and 12th in defensive efficiency. We know how great they are. We, we know they're great stats. Virginia, after the loss to... San Francisco, um, and then – hold on. Let me pull Virginia up real quick. They lost to San Francisco, and then they had a scare against Kent State. I think there's something in this Virginia team that we all seen preseason. I think they're starting to turn the corner. Now, keep in mind, when they play Gonzaga, it'll be 22 days since they last played against Kent State due to – cancellations covid all that good stuff so they'll be well rested they'll probably be a little rusty but i think that rest and the way gonzaga has been going through a brutal schedule actually favors virginia this will be i know west virginia played their very very tough gonzaga that is but they still gave up 87 i do not see any chance in hell tony bennett allows gonzaga to score that many points on him If Gonzaga wins, they do not score that many points. Virginia will be the best defensive team Gonzaga sees all year. They will run, obviously, the pack line. They're known for it. 
but Virginia's got size. Jay Huff ranks in the top five in the nation in block percentage when he plays. He's top five in the nation in block percentage. He will he hedges out on screens. He plays down low. He will challenge everything at the rim that Gonzaga's not seen yet this season. Kansas, West Virginia, none of them had dudes who would challenge them at the rim. And Gonzaga hit 13 threes against Iowa, but they're still only shooting 36% on the year. Virginia is going to make you shoot the three ball. We know this about the pack line. They will make you shoot the three. Gonzaga has to break them down first. They have to hit some and then attack the rim. But then when you get to the rim, like I said, Jay Huff and then Kihei Clark is going to, and he's super small, but he's going to do his best to get after Jalen Suggs and company. I think this is a very good matchup. I think this is a tough matchup for both clubs. Virginia's defense is something else, and Virginia is hitting 37% from three themselves. It ranks them 68th in the nation, but they shoot 81% from the foul line. They're fourth in the nation and not getting blocked on the offensive end. They'll slow the game down, limit Gonzaga's possessions, T.O.P., time of possessions, Jay or not Jay Huff. This is the game I think Sam Houses. Him versus Corey Kispert should be a fun matchup or Drew Timmy, depending on who's guarding him. I'm gonna say it now. This game comes down to the wire in the final minute who has possession of the basketball. Because Virginia's defense keeps it close. I don't know who's gonna win this. I really honest God don't. I want to say Gonzaga because they're that good, but when you break it down defensively, no way Tony Bennett allows Gonzaga to score that many points. And I again, there's something about Virginia we see at the beginning of the year that I think that's still there. Sam Hauser, Kihei Clark, Jay Huff, Thomas Wolden Tensei, I didn't even mention, Reese Beekman. I, I'm gonna pull the trigger. This is the one game Gonzaga loses all year. Virginia wins this ball game, 58-56, final possession, Hauser for the win. I'm saying it right now. Virginia's defense finds a way to slow Gonzaga down. Gonzaga's schedule and everything catches up to them just for this one game in Dow or Fort Worth, Texas. Virginia's defense wins this game. Gonzaga wins this game 83-65. Gonzaga is going to put up another 80-piece. It's going to happen. Gonzaga is too good offensively. They have a very good defensive team. You mentioned the 12th in the nation in defensive efficiency, the second in offensive efficiency, the sixth in effective field goal percentage, their fifth in two-point percentage, 89th in three-point percentage, the, you mentioned it multiple, multiple times. The recipe to beat Virginia and their pack on defense is to be able to hit shots. Gonzaga, I, I don't have the stat anymore. I actually deleted it, but they shot, like, they hit, like, 12 of their 20-some threes. They shot, like, 40, 50% from three or something like that. I don't remember correctly. But if they could continue to do that, which I think they'll be able to hit shots against Virginia, yeah, Virginia has size. Yeah, they got Huff down low. Sam Hauser will probably have a decent game maybe 15 points, five rebounds, and a couple assists. But Gonzaga is just so versatile offensively that Jalen Suggs, Nimrod coming off the bench, Joe Ayayi, Corey Kispert, and Drew Timmy is just going to be too much of a Virginia, Virginia team to handle. 
too many weapons for Gonzaga. Gonzaga drops an 80 piece on the tough Virginia defense and proves even more that without a doubt they might be unstoppable. Um, and they're going to win this game 83 to 64. Gonzaga wins. We'll see. We'll see. I think there's something that we, I think that the real Virginia is waiting to come out. We'll see. Yeah, I think the real Virginia is waiting to come out. So, um, let me go back to my notes here. Da, da, da. Oh, also on Saturday, Big Ten clash. We'll get through real quick. There's a bunch of Big Ten matchups this week that's really good that we'll go through real quick. Saturday, Indiana versus number 13, Illinois. Peyton, the battle for the real Assembly Hall starts off with the one in Champaign, Illinois. That's a good matchup. Indiana, Illinois, um, the Hoosiers are playing well. Illinois slipped up a couple times now during conference play, or, you know, that we've got rolling in a conference and stuff, but still very good Illinois team. If Indiana can continue their upwards trend of shooting the three ball, and Trace Jackson Davis playing as well as he is, IU wins this ball game. Here's why I'm actually predicting Indiana to win. It's their eighth in defensive efficiency. Their eighth in the defensive efficiency. They're 29th in steal percentage. Um, they're going to be able to hit at least a couple threes, maybe not a lot, but if they continue hitting some shots. Um, I didn't watch the Butler game, but I kept flipping back and forth, but I know they hit a couple threes. Um, Trace Jackson Davis is a beast he's probably gonna have a double double in this game illinois they got a couple losses already they're five and three they lost obviously to uh, uh, missouri a week ago and they obviously lost this week or today against Rutgers. on a little bit of a downhill they'll eventually figure it out um ken palm has illinois winning 74 71 i actually have indiana winning 67 to 61 i think indiana goes to illinois and gets uh, upset I, I, like I said, I agree with you. I think Indiana is playing well. They're trending in the right direction. So I have the Hoosiers winning that ball game. Um, the other, other ones on Friday evening, Christmas night, Christmas day, actually. Number 12, Wisconsin at number four, Michigan State, both undefeated inside conference play. Michigan State far or, um, succeeding what we had planned out for them. Wisconsin, we know we just talked about what they did to Louisville. Can Wisconsin continue to shoot the three-ball well against Tom Izzo's defense, Joey Hauser and company? I don't know. I don't know, but I think this could be a very good game. Might be low scoring, but I'll let you take first volley. What do you think? The I think Spartans Michigan, or the Badgers? I'm taking the Spartans. Spartans have really impressed me this season. Um, Joshua Langford, he's not really having the best of the year, but then again, he hasn't played in like 600 days. He's had injuries to deal with, so he's obviously trying to knock the rust off and getting back into form like he used to be. Um, I think he'll have a decent game. I'm not going to say he's going to score a lot of points, but I think he'll be able to hit a couple threes. Uh, Rocket Watts is going to have a very good game. The other Hauser is going to have a good game. I just think Michigan State's going to be too much. Wisconsin has a good defense. They'll be able to hit some shots. They're not going to shoot what they shot against Louisville, though, because Michigan State has a good uh, – front court, and they'll be able to stop that a little bit. But I think it's going to be a close game. It's going to be low scoring. I think I have Michigan State winning 65 to 60, 65 to 60. I feel like it's going to get scoring. I think you're right. I think there's I, – obviously, I think Wisconsin has potential to – with their three-point ability and their experience to 
to really make this interesting with any team they play this year. Ken Palm actually has them favored to win every game until the Iowa game at the end of the year, which I think is crazy. Um, but Tom Izzo's, you know, Tom Izzo just does Tom Izzo-y things, and Michigan State at home for whatever that means. I, I, I like Sparty in this one. Izzo, when he has a good team, he knows he's got a good team, and they, they have something swag about them the way they play defensively, the way they click on offense. And I think he's got one of these ball clubs. And I'm with you about Josh Langford. I like Sparty in this one. Same. Wednesday night, since we're going in reverse order, number 19, Rutgers, coming off the big win today against Illinois, against at number 20, Ohio State. The battle of the two most underrated teams in the Big Ten. Both of them, yet again, unbeaten inside conference play. Rutgers, Ron Harper Jr. and company, Peyton, against Dwayne Washington and Ohio State, both good teams, both good defensive teams. Rutgers ranked 15th in the nation in Ken Palm. Ohio State 47th, but they have the eighth-best offense. I think this is two very well-balanced teams, two experienced teams, and I think it comes down to guard play at the end. Give me Rutgers the advantage there, like I said, with uh, Ron Harper Jr. and um, oh my goodness, uh, I can't even think. Miles Johnson and them, and then they have Cliff Omoriu. The oh, Geo Baker's the other one, sorry. And then Cliff Omoriu. This is a very good and underrated, even still, Rutgers club, Peyton. I'm actually gonna pick pick Rutgers to win this game. I'm still not too high on Ohio State, even though they beat UCLA. I'm still not too high on them just yet. Um, have to wait to see they play in conference play. But Rutgers, both te- both these teams are very balanced. I feel like Rutgers is just a little bit better, though. They're ranked 23rd in offensive efficiency, 15th in defensive efficiency, uh, 24th in effective field goal percentage, um, 54th in offensive rebound percentage, uh, 29th in block percentage, um, and non-steal turnover percentage, they're ranked 8th. One thing that could get them, though, they are ranked 307 from free throw percentage, only shooting roughly about 60.5% from free throw line. So if they want to win this game, they got to convert their free throws better. But I feel like they'll be able to give Ohio State one for the money, and I think they'll actually pull off. I mean, you can call it upset if you want to. Both teams are good, but I think Rutgers will get the W done. We'll get the job done. I agree. And then Super Tuesday, this is another big one. Top 10 matchup inside the Big 12. Number 8, West by God, Virginia. At number 5, Kansas. Another test in Kansas's resume-building season. <sighs> Peyton, I'll let you take first volley on this one. Aren't you old? Take me home. What a start to the Big 12 play for Kansas. They just got done playing Texas Tech, and now they got to face West Virginia. And then after that, they got to face Texas. Yeah. Wow. What a start for the Big 12 play for Kansas. If they're going to win this conference, they're going to have to do it very early on. And I'm actually predicting Kansas to win this game. Kansas, defensive efficiency, they're one of the best teams in the nation, ranked sixth. Six. Offensively, they're ranked 25th. Uh, offensive rebound percentage is ranked 48th. Ranked 51st in non-steal turnover percentage. Um, shooting 72.8% from the free throw line. 34% are starting to improve just a little bit. They got to continue to hit some shots, though. The length 63rd, uh, 34%, shooting 37.2%. Um, this game's going to be good. West Virginia is a hell of a ball club. They very could have beat Gonzaga, um, but they fell a little bit short. They're going to give Kansas a run for the money. 
if this was at West Virginia, if this was at Morgantown, I predict West Virginia to win, but it's at Lawrence, it's at Allen Fieldhouse, therefore Kansas gets the job done. I actually like uh, Ken Palm's prediction that Kansas winning 71-69. I'm going to go a little bit high scoring, though, just a little bit. I'm going to say Kansas wins 75-73. to Okay. So both of these clubs are – obviously we've seen over the course of this young season very good – West Virginia's size could be the first time Kansas, and we've seen what Kentucky did for a while with their size, but West Virginia has experience and more tough physically and tough-minded than Kentucky. I think that's where they'll give Kansas problems. Shooting consistently could be West Virginia's problems, but I think their defense carries them to a victory. I know this is two games in a row I've picked it against Kansas, and that probably means they'll win again. It's not that I don't think Kansas is good. I just look at these matchups, and I think that West Virginia is a bad matchup for a lot of teams, especially Kansas, who's not typical in their front court. But I get a guy like Christian Brown coming down and helping out, getting rebounds, you know. And if West Virginia doesn't shoot the ball well in Lawrence, uh, you know, Lawrence, then it's a long night for him. But there's something about this game that tells me to trend towards West Virginia, so that's what I'm going to do. Damn, man, going against Kansas two times in a row. Damn, bro. Damn, like you trying I was, to piss him off or something? Hey, I, I, he was right. I was wrong on my bank on it. Oh, yeah, you are. Actually, I was wrong on my bank on it, too. I finally lost one, unfortunately. Speaking of Cook, good little segue here. Yep, let me pull it up real quick. Yes, sir. Uh, last weekend, we debuted a new segment called Cook's Corner, and this week he's back at it again with a new – a new edition of Cook's Corner, so here he is right now. Everything college basketball listeners, it is Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. And do you know what time it is? Right now, it's time for you to put on your chef's hat and get ready to talk about people getting cooked on the court, maybe a little pick and roll. Who knows what we're going to talk about? But right now, it's time for ECB's resident cook, Tyler Cook, with Cook's Corner. Hey folks, and welcome back to another installment of Cook's Corner. I'll go ahead and jump right into it. I have something here that I believe is super underrated. Had very little publicity uh, through ESPN and other networks, so I'd like to spend a little time and speak on this situation. Tara Vandiver just became the winningest coach of all time in women's history. Van Devere, I'm sure Josh will correct me on it because I probably said it wrong, which is fine. That's what he's here to help me out with. But uh, her through Stanford, they have racked up a thousand, was it 1,099 wins over her career, not just at Stanford, but she's been, she's had stints at Ohio State and Idaho. She's been in the coaching ranks for 42 years. Winning percentage is over eight or 0.813 which is super high. And one of the reasons why I think it's a super underrated too is because she passed the late, great Pat Summit. You know, Tara is not the, uh, the sexy name like, like Pat was. She was real big in the limelight, which is no fault to her own. She was just more, more in the public eye. You know, Gino Ariyama, he's right on the door too. He's got 1,094. Well, I think Tara's going to hold this forever. No, obviously, because Gino's been there. He's been coaching seven years less. 
But nonetheless, this is a very nice feat for Tara to have. It's it's something that I I really appreciate seeing because people see th stats and are like, well, that's cool, but they don't understand that it it's taken 42 years to get to this get to this feat. It's been a great great thing for her. She kind of she kind of want to wants to play in the background of it. She's not real uh real fond of being in the forefront. She just wants to get back to practice and play another game. Which is which is good. I I think I think she's a great person inside of that. I've been trying to uh, dive in a little bit on the type of person she is because obviously I didn't know much about her either. I knew she's been at Stanford for a long time and all this stuff. But going back to her, she was a a player as well. She played for Albany from in seventy one to seventy two and actually played for Indiana in seventy two through seventy five. Her head coach, like I said, I Idaho from seventy eight to eighty. Ohio State from 80 to 85, and then from 85 on, she's been with uh, Stanford. She has also led the women's USA team to a gold medal in 95-96. Some of her championships, she's, she's had two with Stanford in 1990-1992, 12 Final Four appearances, 25 Pac-12 championships including 14 straight from 2001, 2015, four Big Ten titles. She pretty much won every time. She's Ohio State. She is a four-time National Coach of the Year, 10-time Pac-10, Pac-12 Coach of the Year, five-time WBCA District Regional Coach of the Year, a John Wooden Legends Coach of the Year Award in 2014, five-time Northern California Women's Inter Intercollegiate Coach of the Year, and two-time Big Ten Coach of the Year. This woman has done anything and everything that you can in the women's world. Now, if she was on the men's side, they, they would have gave this woman 20 minutes airtime on ESPN, but she got less time than Gordon Hayward's broken pinky. He was the, the highlight of the show, the tip-off of the hour on SportsCenter. She got the last five. They did a nice segment on her, but she got the last three to four minutes on SportsCenter at the last minute of the, uh, of the hour which I think is a very disrespectful thing on her name. This woman is, for 42 years, has been grinding and grinding and grinding. She's 67 years old as of now. I don't think she's got much more left to prove if she retires after this season, after her feet. All the power to her. But super underrated, under the radar, whatever you want to call it. Tara, this is a tip or hats to you. Congratulations. I hope you guys have a nice, strong finish to your year. We're going to keep an eye on you guys. And I appreciate everything that you've done for the women's game. I hope you get to keep this record for a little bit. You know, Gino, Gino's been doing great things at UConn. He's he's not, I don't think he's an underrated thing because he is always there in the light. They've won everything and anything you can as well. Natara, we appreciate you. Everybody from ECB, tip our hats. And we'll get back to Josh and Peyton. See you, folks. Every and there you have it. Lesnar Cook with another another edition of Kurt's Corner. Um, I really hope you guys enjoy that because I actually he came up that he came up with that segment. Uh, what was it a week ago or something like that? And we decided to do it. And I mean, it's cool to have Cook's voice on the show again. Obviously, he's been he's been a father and doing it with Daddy Time a bunch of times, so he hasn't really had the time to join us on the show and talk about college basketball as much as probably maybe he would like to or we would like him to do, but. 
he came up with this segment. It's a dope segment. I hope you guys enjoy it. But I definitely agree with him. I, she was going to be one of my shout-outs, but I decided to let him have it instead because it's a good one. Obviously, she broke uh, legendary head coach uh, Pat Summitt's um, most all-time wins in women's college basketball history, over 1,000 wins. I think Coach K is the only person and just in general in college basketball who has more wins than her. Um, incredible accomplishment. And, uh, yeah, definitely shout-out to her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love these Cook's Corners because he's still involved. And he always comes up with something, I don't want to say off the wall because that's not fair to say, but he comes up with something that uh, that makes you think that something, something that we have don't cover at the time or he, he always – he does a good job with these. And a shout-out to our guy, Conrad Cushman, for lending his golden voice to that. That I love that segment. I, I really yep. do love that. Um, four, five, six minutes of Tyler just unfiltered and just talking about what he wants to. He always picks a certain subject, too, as, we, as we've noticed, and sticks with that instead of bouncing around. Great stuff. And, yeah, Tara Vanderver, um, a thousand wins, man, and you pass Pat Summit. That's, that's special. That, that's special. As we start to round out this Christmas edition of the podcast, Peyton, it's time to get into a couple of our favorite segments. First, let's start it with the shooting stars sinking ships. And yes, I said sinking ships because now we've finally had some official data to come in that backs this claim. Peyton, the three shooting stars on the rise right now, the Rutgers. Scarlet Knights. I don't even know if they're Scarlet Knights anymore. I think they're just the Knights. But Rutgers. Dayton Flyers, after their big win against previous undefeated Ole Miss, and the Wisconsin Badgers, all three programs look to be hitting or getting close to peak performance, three clubs that you probably don't want to play right now. No, not at all. Wisconsin obviously had that huge win against Louisville. I don't think they're able to shoot the three ball like they did against Louisville, but Louisville's still a pretty decent team, even with injuries and coronavirus and stuff like that that's happening towards our program and team. Still a very talented team um, who's going to do big things in the Big Ten. And speaking of the Big Ten, Rutgers is another team, very underrated. I should have listened to you a couple weeks ago. I wasn't really too high on Rutgers, uh, but now I understand why they beat uh, Illinois today and why they're undefeated, and they're going to actually contend in the Big Ten Conference as well. Now the sinking ships, I think the first one's pretty obvious. Name a name a shittier sinking ship with all the S alliteration you can find than the Kentucky Wildcats. I mean that ship is that ship is pretty far down in the ocean right now. I mean, you have it in Kentucky, buy change it to Coach Cal for mine. Because I feel like it starts with him. But just not playing Dante Allen, not getting guys like Cameron Fletcher minutes. In-game adjustments, even in that North Carolina game, they, they trapped a couple times. He actually ran his own one time at the end of the first half. He ran his own a little bit, but didn't go back to it the rest of the game. Just stubborn play, not playing guys like Dante Allen when you need shooters, just being hard-headed. And plus that crap he said about guys being ahead of him in the rotation need to need to be able to miss shots is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And he just him alone just on the second ship for me. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. We'll we'll go Coach Cal, but I think still there's still some Kentucky element to that. So 
Um, that's a two-parter sinking ship. Iowa's defense, I think they got exposed against Gonzaga. Like, you, how do you have that great of offense and that bad a defense? They, if they're planning to win a Big Ten title, make a Final Four, make a push for a national title, that defense has to get a lot better because right now it is soft. S A W F T. Soft. And then the third, or the third sinking ship. You were high on them in the beginning. They've not really lived up to it so far. Yeah, and that's I was going to say Sun Devils. I don't know what's happening with them. They started off the season one and zero against Rhode Island. Obviously, they got big game against Villanova. They ended up losing. Um, they got a couple wins. They beat a California team. Got demolished by San Diego State. Lost by twelve points. Struggled against Grand Canyon. Only beat them seventy-one to seventy. Lost to UTEP Wednesday, seventy-six to sixty-three. They're just struggling, and I don't understand why. I thought they'd be better. Remy Martin's not really having the best of the year. What I thought he was going to. Josh Christopher had that really good game against Villanova, where he dropped like twenty-four, uh, twenty-four points, but hasn't really done too much after that. It's just they're struggling. Um, don't know what the situation is, but yeah, they're definitely not what the, I thought they were going to be this year. Yep, so that's the three shooting stars, three sinking ships. Now it's time <laughs> for another S. Shout out. Peyton, you didn't say it with me. What the hell? Sorry, I was stalling to find my shout outs. I thought I'd leave in one accident, but I found <laughs> Oh it. my God. I found so it. I guess, I guess I'll take the first volley, if you will. Okay, I'm just going to – it's a three-headed monster. I've already kind of said it, but I'm going to shout out Devin Askew slash Lance Ware slash Davion Mintz because I think those three of all the Kentucky problems, those three have been kind of shining lights in a way. And I, we knew I was very hard on Devin Askew, but like I said, the last the last, um, the last, last 80 minutes of basketball – well, no, because he – how should I put it? Yeah, the last 80 minutes because the last two games. The last 80 minutes of basketball, I think Devin Askew is playing a lot more calm and under control. So got to give him credit. Lance Ware plays his ass off regardless. He'll pick up four or five fouls, but he plays very hard. You just need that right now if you're Kentucky. And then Davion Mintz, the only guy I trust scoring the basketball for Kentucky, like consistently. So those three, despite a cloudful and a pileful of shit, those three have been sort of shining lights. So I do need to give them some props and shout out. Devin Askew, Lance Ware, Davion Mintz. Second shout out. We stay in the state of Kentucky. We've talked about him all year. The best mid-major player in the nation, according to Peyton Burton. Yep, that's me. Mr. Charles Bassey. They went to Alabama on Saturday and picked up another program win and continue to look the part of not only Conference USA champions, but a team that could be reckoned with come NCAA tournament. Let me find – I had a bunch of stats pulled up here on Charles Bassey. Let me – where was it at? Um, Hold on, I've lost my own, I've lost my own stats. Oh no, where is he? Oh, here he is. So Charles Bassey this season. I'm not talking points per game, all that crazy. I mean, if you look at his points and all of his games this year, he's put up. Uh, da, da, da. Crap, where did it go? I just oh, 
11, 21, 15, 13, 13, 29, 13, 27. He's basically been a double-double machine, including almost a triple-double against, um, was it Memphis or West Virginia? Uh, I think it was Memphis. He almost put up a triple-double. Okay. But some of these, Ken Palm-wise, he is third in the nation in block percentage. He's blocking 15% of the shots he's uh, involved in on defense. 15% of shots on defense he's blocking. He is sixth in the nation in defensive rebound percentage. He is pulling in 34.4% of his team's defensive rebounds while he's on the floor. He is shooting 68% from the field. 68% from the field. He is a monster on both ends of the floor. I don't see how you find a better mid-major player, like you said, but outside of Luca Garza, who's a better big man than Charles Bassey is right now? I, I don't think there is one. I don't think there is one either. So shout-out to Charles Bassey. And then my third and final shout-out. I love these stats. And I'm going off two stats I think a lot of teams this year, including my Kentucky Wildcats, struggle in. So let's shout out the three-point percentage leader in the nation right now, which would be not individual. Um, where's the team ones at? Team, team. team stats. Here we go. The Baylor Bears, the best three-point shooting team in the nation percentage-wise, shooting 46.8% from three. Illinois is second at 45%. Shout-out to Baylor for being a great three-point shooting team. And then assists, Kentucky struggles. We talked earlier, 69 assists to 90 turnovers. The best assist percentage team in college basketball, sharing the ball, moving it, the Northwestern Wildcats assisting on 76.4% of their points, moving the ball, hot potato, hot potato, sharing the basketball. Talk about Michigan State, Peyton. They're third, actually. 73.8% of their points come off of assists. That is huge. That is team connected right there. But shout out to those clubs, three-point percentage, Baylor, assist percentage, Northwestern. Two stats that Kentucky is desperately in need of. Oh, and the other one, sorry, free throw percentage. I was going to do free throw percentage. Shout out to Akron, who's shooting a crazy 95.2% from the free throw line. 95. Do not foul Akron if you don't have to. But that's my shout outs for the week. On to you, sir. Well, again, my shout outs, you just mentioned Michigan State. I have a school update, and it's upset watch right now. It's got 151 left in the first half, but. Northwestern's beating Michigan State 38 to 27 right now. Northwestern's shooting like not uh, shooting 45% from the three. They shot 11 threes, hit five of them so far. So we should look at assist. <laughs> now that we're talking <laughs> yeah, sure, about yeah. two of the two of the top three teams in assist percentage. So well, Northwestern has 10 assists. Michigan State has seven right now. See, there you go. But anyway, moving on to my shout outs. My number one shout out goes to the best player in the nation, in my opinion, Luca Garza. Luca Garza is a man. Um, he can score on multiple levels, but most importantly, that Gonzaga game, he basically willed that Iowa team to almost. They was only they were getting blown out. 
I don't know what was the largest deficit they were down by. I know at one point they was down at least 18 points. I don't know if I got to like the 20 range or not. I don't actually remember correctly, but he basically willed them back to almost coming back and winning this game. They got within nine, and then obviously Jordan Bahanna made some stupid shot selection. It was very, very poor, and Gonzaga ended up hitting some shots. Jalen Suggs did what he does. But Luka Garza had double-double. He had 30 points, 10 rebounds, a typical Luka Garza night. I thought last season – I thought he should have, him or Doak should have won the player of the year candidate or the player of the year, but they gave it to Obi Toppin, which definitely deserved it. And this year, I think he's coming for revenge. He wants that player of the year, and I think he's actually the best player in the nation. So shout out to him. My next shout out goes to North Carolina's guard, um, Colin Walton, who came off the bench in the Kentucky win, scored 13 points, shot perfect from the field, played 14 minutes, hit some big time shots to really will North Carolina back. It was down a little bit, and he had some big shots, and they went onto a run. I think a twenty to six run or something like that. Yep. And ended up getting the job done. He played big, coming off the bench for North Carolina. Number three upset, Central Florida UCLF. They upsetted Florida State, who I think Florida State's a very underrated team. And they upset. I don't know what the final score is. I know Darius Perry had a decent game. He had like eight points or something like that. Uh, hit a couple shots, but Central Florida, shout out to them for upsetting a very good Florida State team. That's all my shout outs. There you go. Now we move on to the <coughs> final segment of the show, the bank on it. Peyton, I've been so bad this year, so I'm going to do a college basketball one and a couple non-ones just to make me feel good because Kentucky sucks. My non-ones, bank on it. Milan wins the Scudetto for the first time this since 2012 Milan's on top so let's let's pray for that for one of my teams <laughs> and then the Green Bay Packers will be new your new Super Bowl champions they're rolling right now sitting at 10 and 3 and currently the number one team in the NFC Aaron Rodgers 40 plus touchdowns uh the most time most how many most year number of years of 40 touchdowns or more something like he broke some record last night so Packers win Super Bowl my Milano wins the Scudetto now my college basketball ones because I'm not very good on those this year I'm like you were the last two years um how about this one I'm going Christmas edition bold three top five schools lose this week bank on it damn Three of them, and I'll tell you which ones they are. So Gonzaga, you had Virginia beating Gonzaga. Virginia oh, over man. Gonzaga. West Virginia over Kansas. That's another one, yeah. And then I had to hold on. What was my other one? Um, oh, I know I said Michigan State over Wisconsin, but I actually think Wisconsin wins the game. <laughs> Three top yeah. five teams fall this week. Christmas edition. Watch and see. Bank on it. Well, my bank on it, I'm actually doing very, very well. I just, I think I'm 4-1 now in bank on it, so 3-1 or something like that. I predicted Louisville to beat Wisconsin. Obviously, they didn't do that. They got demolished. So, I finally lost the bank on it, finally. But I'm doubling down on this week for my bank on it. Kansas defeats West Virginia this Tuesday. It's going to be a big game. Kansas is going to be 2-0 now in the conference play and or Big 12 conference and really going to take the turn to – going back-to-back uh, conference champions and start a new streak, damn it. So, Kansas beats West Virginia this Tuesday. Bank on it. There okay. You go, Cook. There you go, Cook. I got you, bro. 
yeah, you're trying to undo what I tried to do. Hey, well, I think, I think I, I'm pretty sure I predicted Kansas would be at the set, so he should be happy now. You did, you did. I'm just saying you're you're going against me like the yin and the yang here. Well, someone has to. <laughs> but other than that, wrapping up this Christmas edition show, I thought it was another fun show. A lot of good basketball again to come. We're starting to get into the heat of conference play. Gotta give a little love and shout out. We just finished week one of year three of the ECB Weekly Pick'em Challenge. Right now, Colton Henderson has a nice lead after week one, but there's a lot of points to be had. Big prizes up for grab this year. The most prizes is since we've started this, so a lot of fun. Come join Peyton, the Facebook page. The, we need all the likes we can get on that. Yep. New merchandise coming down the pike. Uh, we didn't get it out in time for Christmas, but we'll have it in time for the new year. A lot of big things going on in ECB. Yes, sir. And you mentioned Colton leading the Pickums right now. Colton's one of my friends. I've known him for a long time. Played basketball with each other. Went to school together. He was in my grade. Um, enjoy it while it lasts because once it gets to double points and triple points and we start doing stuff like that, I'm coming. Because last season, I didn't finish the season. Um, I didn't finish the Pickums. And I ended up finishing like bottom half, which is my own fault. I just stopped doing them. But this week, or this year, I'm coming for that title. I want it. I need it. Therefore, Colton, I'm coming for you. Peyton, are you coming like your Tropicana and got the juice? <laughs> yeah. All for the reason to let the dog loose. Yeah. <laughs> Conrad will get that. He'll understand. Yes, sir. Um, Let me go ahead and can I – is anybody listening? Can I go ahead and drop some knowledge on you? What you got? You talk about double points. Here's an exclusive, but I'm only telling you, so don't let anybody else hear, okay? I bet. All right, nobody's listening, right? Yeah, nobody nobody listens to this podcast anyway, so go ahead. Okay. For Christmas, the Christmas edition, I know it's only week two, but we're going to do triple points. Damn! Triple okay. Points for Christmas edition. But shh, keep that under wraps, just between me and you. Yes, sir. So that'll be our first uh, bonus edition. So it's a lot will change between week one and week two. Nice. That, mean, that means that regular games are worth nine points and the game of the day is worth, worth a whopping 15 points. Yeah, Colton, you're screwed. I'm coming for you. And yeah. Nobody can stop me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I guess it's. I guess everybody. When I drop the the games, it's time to play the game. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, we'll quit all of our corny shit inside stuff. So, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Again, like we said, top of this program. Hope you guys have a merry Christmas. Enjoy time with the people you want to be with. Less of the time you people you don't want to be with, but just enjoy it. We'll catch you with all the action throughout the week. ECB is the only spot you need to go to for it. But other than that, signing off, I'm Josh Burton. MVP. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. And we'll catch you next week with another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. We are out. Boom. Boom.